the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome and thanks for once again tuning into a brand new episode of Sake on Air the world's very first podcast dedicated entirely to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, I'm one of your regular hosts here on this sake-inspired show. And this wonderful show was brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, where we like to broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center that is located in the heart of Tokyo. If you've been a longtime listener or a new one here at Sake On Air, uh, I encourage you to kindly uh, check us out on wherever it is you get your favorite podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a relatively kind review, uh, it would be greatly appreciated because it really, really helps others find the show. With that, we're going to go ahead and move into this week's episode. And this week's episode, we are getting into a little bit of sake tourism, uh, if you will. And I'm incredibly excited to welcome Ms. Marika Tazawa to the show. Uh, Marika is the owner and founder of Kurabito Stay. Uh, Kurabito Stay is a sake experiential uh, stay, as you might imagine, uh, experience um, that is spread across a number of days um, that allows people to experience, of course, brewing firsthand, but also uh, other types of experiences sort of on the periphery of living in the uh, Saku region of Nagano and as it ties and relates to sake brewing uh, in that region. Uh, so I'm really excited to have her on the show because she's been doing some fantastic work in building this out over the past few years. And sadly, I haven't been able to visit yet, but I'm hoping that this will be the catalyst so that next time when I get back, I can find my way over there. Um, so I'm really excited to uh, be speaking with Marika today. So Marika, welcome to Sake on Air. Hello. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me. No, <laughs> it's, it's my pleasure. I'm, like I kind of mentioned there a little bit in the introduction, um, I was immediately aware of what you were doing because when I was in Japan, I was doing a lot of work ar around uh, sake tourism and travel um, and education, the experiential side, um, trying to get people closer to sake breweries um, and, to, and creating new experiences. And you committed full on to the experience very early um, before other people were really going this far and thinking about allowing people into the brewery to spend time and really um, have that experience. And so seeing how you had sort of put that together was really uh, exciting and inspiring for me too. I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about your uh, experience um, in setting that up and operating that today. Um, but for now, um, I think to get started before we dive into all of that, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from? Hello again, I'm Marika Tazawa, and I'm the founder and the owner of Gravitas Day. I'm originally from Saku area in Nagano Prefecture, and in 2018, I started Kurabito Day in order to help develop the vision as a place to impress sake lovers from across the globe. Before 2018, I worked in a travel agency and also was a wine importer. 
when I was in my 20s, I was completely obsessed with wine, not sake. It was <laughs> it happens, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It's fine. <laughs> it was when I visited a winery in France that the winery owner said to me, You should value your own culture more in Japan. You have a wonderful alcohol, sake. At that time, I was completely unaware of the of the charm of sake, but those words made me realize that we need to be more proud of our country, or our region's unique culture, and motivated me to take a closer look at sake. If you don't mind me asking, I'm curious. You said you weren't you weren't really into sake at the time. You were. It was wine that you loved. Mm -hmm. Do you re? What was it that you liked about wine? What made you fall in love with wine? Mm, simply, I didn't notice the, the charm of sake. And also, sure. I was fascinated by the Western culture. Okay, so then I guess you were into wine, and then you went to France, and you had sort of this um, awakening or discovery, if you will, that you should look look into sake a little bit more. Sort of then, what was that path then in getting into in getting into sake? What happened after you uh, came back from France? After I came back from France and after getting married, I put my career on pause for a while to focus on raising my children. Having had time to reflect, I knew that when I went back to work, I wanted to use my professional skills and return to a career that to, to contribute to my hometown. It wasn't until after I returned to my hometown that I noticed that there are 13 sake breweries in Saku area, many with a history dating back over 300 years. That discovery was what inspired me to draw the connection between the power of our local culture and the tourism to revitalize the Saku area. Okay, so it was you. You were were you thinking that you were wanting to look into tourism at the time as well? Was that yes. was that sort of a plan for what what you wanted to do when you came back? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I believe that um, to revitalize the. Uh, countryside of Japan, the only way I, I believed uh, tourism from now yeah, on. Absolutely. I think I think that's mm -hmm. going to be critical, right? With the with the decreasing population and everything. It's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. How do you bring people in, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you go um you come back and you discover that you're from a region that has all of these wonderful sake breweries. Um, and you're looking to get into um, tourism, um, the idea that you came up with is Kurobito Stay. Could you tell us briefly sort of what is Kurobito, Kurobito Stay? Kurobito Stay is the world's first sake brewery hotel. Beyond just providing lodging, guests are also able to experience what it's like to work as a sake brewer at the traditional sake brewery. For the lodging, we renovated the space that the toji and 
other sake brewers would traditionally stay at in order to focus on sake making for the entire brewing season, transforming the, the old home into a unique hostel style lodging. It's sort of like a group lodging setup then. Yeah. So it's it's similar to the traditional sort of format that the sake brewers would stay at. It was sort of a shared space where everybody would come and stay. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so the guests can experience authentic sake brewers' life. Sure, absolutely. So, well, I'm looking, I imagine you didn't just use that space because I'm I'm looking at the space behind you right now in the in the zoom window and, it, and it's beautiful I, I i it i'm sure it definitely didn't used to look like that <laughs> clearly you've um, clearly updated it a lot it yeah, looks gorgeous yeah. <laughs> when we renovate that old dormitory authentic dormitory mm-hmm. um i try to make uh make it clean and comfortable even for women so that's sure. why I say yes. It, it has to. I mean, but it right. If it's for tourism, it has to be comfortable and accessible to whoever it is might be coming. Right? No, that's great. No, it looks gorgeous. Okay, so then, yeah. So uh, I guess a little bit of, more about um, Kurabito Stay. Then, yeah. Do you mind telling me a little bit about sort of what makes it unique and um, sort of the nature of the programs? Obviously, what set Kurabito Stay apart from other hotels? or sake experiences is that guests are able to take part in the unforgettable experience of living as a sake brewer and going hands-on with the process together with the local brewers. While brewing is a big part of experience, we also introduced the philosophy and spirit associated with, uh, with sake brewing along with other cultural experiences throughout town, providing both context and a unique sense of place to the overall experience. Beautiful. So with the brewing experience sort of central um, to this, um, what sort of programs are there? Are there a range of different programs or sort of what does that experience look like? There are generally two main programs we offer. From April to early October, we host a two days, one night program focused on the process of making koji. The guests enter directly into the koji room and work together with the brewers to participate in the process of making koji. For guests who love sake, this is always a really powerful experience. From mid-October to the end of March, except for December and January, because they make the most delicate sake for the competition, mm-hmm. we offer a three days, two nights program for making koji, as well as making the shubo, which is the fermentation starter for a large batch of sake. Got it. Okay, so you're so the the koji program then since it's April to October you're making are you making koji all year long then? Yes, the Kitsukura Sake Brewery they makes amazake for whole year, so okay. that's why they need koji. Yeah. Always they need koji, so that that's why we can uh, offer the koji making program 
from April to early October. Oh, perfect. That's really nice. I mean, that's for a lot of people who are really passionate about sake, that's sometimes or often, I'd say maybe the most the most exciting part in a way, right? So to be able to offer that yes. part of the experience like. the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. That's really great. That's really great. And so then how, how long have you been doing these sorts of programs then? When did this begin? We started those programs in March 2020, uh, just under the COVID-19. It was really wow. But thanks Good. to our guests and our and, and our friends, we we could continue from now. Uh, wow. Now. And we recently had 400 guest experience Gravito State. That's you picked an incredible time to get started. (laughs) (laughs) That that must have been incredibly challenging. Yeah, big, big, big challenge for me. (laughs) Right? Because I imagine, I mean, you started then, but you probably you probably couldn't openly welcome guests for the first year, two years, maybe? Um, maybe half of a year. Okay. At the beginning, people didn't know where about the new virus. So yeah. just had to stay in, in their home. But yep. from I remember from June or July 2020, mm-hmm. uh, people tried to restart, restart the um, economy again. Yeah. Well, that's the real, real beginning for our business. Sure. I remember then though, even right, there was a lot, there were a lot of promotions for like inexpensive train travel and things like that and hotels. And I remember that was happening, but I also remember, especially in the countryside, a lot of places were a little bit nervous about having a lot of people come, right? That's true. That's true. People are afraid if some people come from Tokyo or or some big cities, uh, countryside people are afraid of to meeting them sure (laughs) always i believe such hard situation will end in future so that i motivated myself always and i keep doing what i believe so 400 guests is one of our confident yeah absolutely no excellent oh that's beautiful so let's see here. So started at, at a really hard time, but now everything is moving. It's going well. Is it still the same two programs or have you introduced new programs or has that changed at all? Uh, so far, we had mainly two programs for making koji and making sake. But uh-huh. this year, we started a new project that we call Trail to the Rice Fields from April to November. We now also offer cycling programs for visitors to enjoy the scenery, visit several sake breweries in the area, and interact with other local producers such as farmers and beekeepers. We just started (laughs) this summer, but so far the response has been really great. You develop a much more personal sense of place traveling by bicycle than you do by car more than just information it's a much richer 
sensory experience, being able to cycle down the small farming roads, meeting people, feeling and smelling the air. Absolutely. No, it depends a great way to travel by 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 bicycle. I mean, but that's a, that's a whole new business though, right? I mean, figuring out how to guide by bicycle, that's a whole nother experience to figure out. It's really nice to drink uh, sake, uh, imagining the scenery that people saw in daytime by cycling, yeah. during the cycling. Absolutely. So place become more richer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sake, sake tastes better after cycling. Yeah, yeah. It's good anyway, but it's better after after you sweat a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Cool. Um, so I'm curious then, I mean, this is obviously a very unique program, and there are a lot of challenges, I think, associated with setting up something like this, um, particularly because there wasn't really a model to go from. I mean, it was completely new. I guess I'm wondering is sort of what, from your past experience, you said you worked in tourism a bit, you worked um, in wine um, for a while. I'm curious, what sort of, um, I guess, personal or professional experiences did you have that that really helped prepare you for um, setting up and, and doing a program like this? When I was working at a travel agency, I felt limited by busy tours where it, it felt like large numbers of, of people were competing to see as many sightseeing spots as possible. It was clear that Japanese travel agencies were competing with each other to sell tours at lower price, and uh, destinations were becoming overrun and exhausted. Visitors would only stay for only about one hour, quickly tour the area, take a restroom break, do some shopping, and leave behind nothing but trash. <laughs> and in many cases, they they don't even remember where it was they visited. I mean, that is still a, a fairly common sort of travel pattern for a lot of people in Japan, isn't it? To move as a group, and then it's like, how many how many things can you get done in a day? Right? And you even even if they go to really beautiful places, just the pace and the way that they that they travel and experience things, I, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of people don't really remember where they went because it, it could have been anywhere because they're traveling sort of in the same way. So no, yeah, that's a really good point. I began thinking that I wanted to create a form of tourism where everyone involved is happy. In order to do so, we needed to increase the value of services. Honestly speaking, the Kravito Stay program is not cheap, but by creating a very special and unique services that's only available at a single location in the world, we can create something that benefits everyone involved, including our staff members, sake breweries, and local restaurants and local businesses. I think that this is the model needed to achieve sustainable tourism. 
due in part to the influence of the coronavirus, travel in the age of mass tourism has completely come to an end. I'm very excited by the opportunity to create a new type of tourism for a new era. Your visitors then, where are many people coming from? Are they mostly domestic Japanese tourists or are you getting more people from overseas? During the COVID by, uh, influence of the COVID virus, uh, 90% domestic and 10% foreigners who live in Japan. But sure. now, now 60% Japanese and 40% international tourists. Oh, amazing. Are you gradually seeing more and more international tourists come? Because, I mean, looking at your website, it looks like it's very much, it's kind of <laughs> targeting the, the international oh. community. Is that yeah. is that intentional? Is that sort of what you were going for? Intentional. Um, I will. I want want Japanese customers come more, but that um, the reason why I use foreigners to our promotion. Yeah. It's connected to our mission statement. Uh, yeah. That is that to protect and. Um, and uh, pass down the pride mm -hmm. of our homeland for a hundred years to come. Mm -hmm. I want, want uh, our children or grandchildren uh, be com confident to our own culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess you know to be to be proud of it and to appreciate it. Right. There's there's a lot to be proud of and there's a lot to enjoy. Yes. Right? I guess for for it to be sustainable and for all those good things to to stick around, right? people have to sort of redevelop the culture for enjoying it and appreciating mm -hmm. it a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, well, you said you know you said it's not cheap, but you, you know it. I, and you're right, it's not cheap. I'm just looking at the website. It says well, ninety nine thousand yen. So I mean, that's probably right now. Two night, uh, three days, two nights. I mean, you're looking at roughly four hundred dollars a night, which honestly, with the experience and everything, that's not bad at all. You know, you'll, you, yeah, you'll really? you'll spend you'll spend four hundred dollars a night on a on just a hotel room in New York. You know, I mean, cheap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Like I said, it's not cheap, but mm -hmm. it's but it's not unreasonable. Right. Mm, it's not it's not it's not ridiculously expensive. Mm, right. I mean, you have the, the hostel set up, so it's a sort of a shared room experience. It's a mm. little bit different from a hotel, but you get that that unique experience of right doing the work in the sake brewery and spending time with those people. So I don't know it's it seems very it, it seems reasonable that price wouldn't necessarily, you know, prohibit them from from being able to take part, hopefully. No, it's very I, cool. I believe, yeah, I believe that if people understand this experience, it's very, very rare and unique. Um, yeah. I believe that it's understandable price. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, how did you, how have you gone about letting people know that, that this exists um, and uh -huh. telling people about this service? Because it is really unique. We've been very lucky to have had a wide range of media introduce us as a very unique ex experience, thanks to that we've had basically no direct advertising costs. 
it's also very common for past guests to introduce us to their family, close friends, and on social media. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it does sound like the kind of thing that that really spreads by word of mouth, doesn't it? You know, yes. it's kind of hard to hit everywhere, but the people who would appreciate this experience, they're probably looking for it, right? And then if you went and had that experience and you knew someone else who would also appreciate it, you'd probably tell them, right? Yeah. And especially with something like this. It's pretty clear who, who something like this is for. So no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, so you said, so in the Saku, you're in the Saku area or the Saku region of Nagano. Um, and there are 13 different breweries. Um, but my understanding is that you're working directly or most directly with uh, Kitsukura Shuzo or Kitsu, Kitsukura uh, Sake Brewery. Um, what sort of, what's your relationship with uh, that brewery and sort of the other um, breweries in the region like? We have a truly wonderful relationship with the Kitsukura Sake Brewery. I actually didn't start my own business right after returning to my hometown. When I first moved back, I was involved in starting up the local tourism bureau. From mm -hmm. around 2017, I started collaborating with Kitsukura Sake Brewery through my work at the tourism bureau. And even after I quit the job, I continued to help them with their sake work, gradually building a relationship of trust. They were really appreciative of my sales work. So when I told them about this new business idea, they were willing to work with me. For a long time, sake breweries in Japan were um, industries that had nothing to do with tourism, but as the neighboring sake breweries observed our activities for three years, a lot of them began to cooperate with us. Now, most of all the sake breweries in the area are open to guests to guests of Gravito Stay. Very cool. So the actual stay, so the guests who come and stay at the sake brewery, are those, those are all at Kitsukura Sake Brewery, but you go and visit the other ones, is that correct? Yeah, sometimes sake experience is only inside the Kitsukura Sake Brewery. Right. We have a tourism permission, so sometimes we make some bus tour okay. to visit the other sake breweries or other producers. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. Okay. I mean, you talk about you began setting this up after you worked at the tourism bureau. So I guess that tourism bureau might have been a part of it, but I'm curious. This sounds, I mean, this sounds like a lot of work to do all by yourself. I'm just sort of curious what other, were there any people or organizations in town that were um, particularly supportive or have been really helpful in, in allowing you to set up a program like this? That would be Mr. Tyler Ide, the 19th generation owner and president of the brewery. He spends a lot of time each weekend with our guests, having someone who 
represents 19 generations of sake making is something that our guests find to be a rather special experience. Absolutely. A, a lot of people can't, most people can't imagine 19 generations. <laughs> it's hard to even imagine how long that dates back. I don't know. <laughs> sake breweries who has over 300 years of history, very wrong. Right, right. It's it's wild. When you tell people that, like they don't even, I said most sake breweries are older than my country. It's pretty crazy. So I, I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, you said you weren't really interested in sake before starting this. Um, you were more into wine and and other things. Um, now you are, I imagine you're spending a lot of time at the sake brewery yeah. <laughs> and around sake. Um, how has how has your relationship with sake changed? I started drinking sake every day. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> we are incredibly proud to have the opportunity to introduce our sake to guests all over the world. I'm really happy to be able to meet so many people through sake. I said having having a little bit of sake each day. That's that's sort of just part of the part of the business, right? <laughs> I'm curious if sort of your perception as to the accessibility of sake has changed at all by operating Kurobito Stay. I mean, I think it's relatively inaccessible for a lot of people, but um, you're offering a very intense experience. So I'm just sort of curious what that what that experience is, has been like for you and your guests. Our main target is not people who don't have a sake experience, but we are trying to bring people who already love sake, sake enthusiasts, mm -hmm. and to uh, offer them much uh, deeper and richer experience to enrich their sake life much more ha happier. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess in in that sense, it's it's not so much creating accessibility from nothing it's more providing access to new kinds of experiences that for people who have right who are very active and proactive in finding that so no that's great because it's you kind of have to make the path for everyone right like there are a lot of people working on introducing experiences or creating opportunities for people who don't get to try sake or who haven't tried sake but then you also have to have the next steps, right? So once people already love sake, right? How do you get them to go deeper and become more passionate? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. no, the program that you're um, that you're setting up, it sounds like it's 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 definitely it's definitely fits that category. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, most of our uh, guests uh, after the program, they give us some comments and impression of our, of our programs. They say they learned more than what described on the hundreds of techists. Yeah. So they learned um, authentic, real sake brewing from our pro program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's amazing because there's the amount of information and the kind of information that's available now about sake brewery there's more and more and it's getting better and better but it's amazing what a single deep or rich experience can do like you can't you can't learn that from a book <laughs> or in a youtube video there's no way there's no way no that's great i'm i'm wondering then so i mean this is 
a experience. Kurabitoste is, you know, it, you host it at Kitsukura Shuzo, but the by hosting it in a place like Saku and where there are, you know, I'm sure there are other plenty of other local businesses in the area and there are other sake breweries. How do you feel hosting a program or and developing a place like Kurobito Ste has impacted the neighboring community, whether it be the businesses or the people involved or other sake breweries or whatever? Originally, I was worried about whether people in the town or the other sake breweries would be able to entertain foreign guests since it is not a touristic destination. But now I think they are actively enjoying this business. I think everyone now understands that Krabitos Day works like a device to attract good customers uh, to the community now. Recognize that tourism can help us build funds as well as contribute to increased sales. Sure, sure, sure. No, that makes sense because it's. I mean, yeah. you're right. It is. It isn't a. It isn't a regular tourist destination, right? I mean, is is Saku known for anything else related to tourism? Mm, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I said, but that's, but I mean, that fulfills your mission though, right? Is you're taking something traditional and you're, you're demonstrating how um, there is potential and there is value in, you know, the place and the experience that's already there. So no, that's really great. That's really nice. But I imagine this, I mean, this hasn't been easy. We talked a little bit about COVID, right? You couldn't start right away shortly after opening. And I imagine there were a lot of challenges uh, related to that, but starting and operating and running something like this, um, I'm curious, are there any challenges that were very unique or things that maybe you didn't expect that we, that proved to be rather difficult? It took as much as three years for local people to believe that Gravito Stay can attract foreigners from yeah. as much as now from 20, 24 countries. So oh, amazing. People, people didn't believe, believe our new business. So, yeah. But now um, people understand how our culture, our own culture is so unique and has uh, enough charming to... Yeah attract people mm. yeah so. absolutely <laughs> absolutely i said it it it, it, it takes time but mm. yeah eventually right little by little after after 400 guests people start to start to notice mm. right <laughs> oh that's great so i'm so now i mean japan is open for travel now and everybody's you know i i visited japan this summer um for the first time in a while and i was shocked at how busy and crazy it was everywhere <laughs> there were so many people <laughs> uh, now, mm. uh, last day um uh, the news said the number of for, foreign tourism increased than the last year yeah September. very nice mm. very nice i said it it's sure it sure felt like there was a lot of people there when I was there last time. 
So I guess now that you're on this this great trajectory, you've you've hit this you know a 400 guest milestone. You've got um, the town and the local area behind you. What's do you have any future plans, or is there anything that you're working on right now um, for Curabito Stay? Our big goal is to continue our local community, but um, in two years we will open second house, second guest house just in front of the other sake brewery in Ueda city. Oh, okay. Oh, very cool. <laughs> and also we want to improve our cycling program more and invite more and more people to enjoy yeah. the scenery of the sake area. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Ueda has has some a lot of great sake breweries as well. Do you know Okazaki Shuzo? I do. <laughs> I do. Is that where you is that where it's going to be? Yes. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. Oh, is that a was that a secret? Can we can we tell that to people on the show? Uh, open, open. That's it's open. Me. Okay. Cool. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's super exciting. Oh. Yeah. I've I've um, I've I've met them several times and so I've known them I don't know uh, them very 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 well, but I've met them several times and I've been meaning to visit there. So now I have a now I have another place to go stay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Okazaki, uh, yeah. he trusts Trust our business and trust me. So yeah. he invited me to uh, start a new hotel just in front of their sake brewery. So oh, beautiful. The details are still secret, but yeah. please look forward to our new project. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, very exciting. So, so 2025, is that the plan? Uh, I think okay. so. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, that's that, I'm glad we're able to to share something like that here. Let our let our let our listeners know. I'm pretty sure that there will be more than a few people that are excited to hear that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Cool. So, Marika-san, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're busy this morning, but is there are there any sort of messages or anything else you'd like to tell our listeners, or that, yeah. um, or if there, or if you just want to let people know where they can find more information? The Saku area is very close to Tokyo mm. uh, by Buret train, Shinkansen. Yeah. Uh, it takes only 70 or 80 minutes. And from Sakodaira station, uh, you can take local train or take taxi on only 20 minutes. So very close. So please come and enjoy good taste sake. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and jump into the sake brewing experience. Excellent. We, we are looking forward to welcoming you in Saku soon. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. Marika-san, more than anything, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know so it's, uh, it's probably autumn down there. Well, I know it's autumn down there and it's probably beautiful down there. And so I imagine it's a pretty busy uh, tourism si uh, season and I'm sure sake brewing is starting. So I imagine they're getting brewery, uh, they're getting pretty busy down there. So I really appreciate you um, taking some time um, to share with us uh, your story, um, as well as a little bit about uh, Kuribito Stay. Um, and so hopefully our listeners as well, when they make over to Japan, if they're looking to further their um, sake experience, um, they'll travel down uh, to Nagano to, to come see you down there. So I, I really hope that works out. So thank you so much for um, joining us. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this 
episode of Sake on Air. If anybody has any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings, if anybody has or if any of our listeners have had the Kurobito Stay experience, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, share with us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever it is you keep in touch with us. Or you can send your comments or questions to questions at sakeonair.com. Um, my name is Justin Potts, and that was one more episode here at Sake on Air. And uh, we will be back with more Sake on Air in just a couple of weeks. And so until then, come by. Sake on Air is brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center that is located right in the heart of Tokyo. The program is a production by Potsuke Productions with editing and audio work by Mr. Frank Walter and occasionally Ms. Cindy Bissick. <laughs>